0: Well, we decided that we would create the uh, climate in here today. Want to tell you that it never rains inside evergreen. Sun's out in here today. Yeah. <laughs> oh fun. like to introduce you to uh, four of our new friends here on the uh, slide behind me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, when Ann and I were in New York with our extended family, we got to go to Lauren's first grade class in Harlem where she teaches And it was an art show day, exhibition by the kids, and they'd been preparing over much of the year for this grand day that they would be inviting their parents and family members to come, and we got to come as special guests for the class. It was so much fun. Now, Mrs. Roth had uh, prepared them very well. They were on their best behavior, but oh, it was not easy for them. They were sitting at their desk areas, and it was uh, two kids on one side, two on the other, so a desk area, table kind of thing with four workspaces, and they were, had to stay in their chairs, and their chairs obviously had to stay near their desk space, but oh, what their bodies could do in squirming and configuring to gather attention. It was just the energy in the room. It was amazing. So I'm talking with Barbara, and Barbara decided that she wants to be a doctor like Mrs. Roth's husband, Jordan who is a frequent visitor in the room and was there that day as well, Ann and Bonnie and I were there. And, and um, I'm talking to Barbara, and Carl, who's on the left there of the slide, was just so desperately wanting my attention. But he's patiently waiting while he's fidgeting. And Barbara is showing me the papier-mâché animal that she and a partner had made and the, uh, the fish diagram that was hanging from the ceiling and methodically taking me through the portfolio actually, I said, Barbara, can I see your portfolio? And she said, do you know that big word? And I said, "Uh, yes, I do. How do you know that word? And I said, your teacher told me you had one. Oh, she said. So we were looking through the portfolio. When we looked at Barbara's last drawing, Carl reached his arm out. Now it was safe to get my attention. Grabbed my arm and said, look at mine, look at mine. And as he was showing me his stuff, he got distracted. And he glanced over my shoulder, and he was looking at Jordan, our son, who he knows. And then he looked at me, and he looked at Jordan, (laughs) and he looked at me, and he said, are you Jordan's dad? I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, you look just like him. (laughs) I love that point of view. Now, last night... Ava Grace Hova was here in the front row, just a few days fresh as Isaac and Danya brought her. And we're all looking at Ava, and we're deciding which one of her parents she looks like, right? And, uh, you know, mostly we think she favors Donya, and, you know, we're all grateful for that. We just, so she, <laughs> she looks she looks like her mama. That's the adult point of view, right? The kid's point of view was, you look just like your son. I love that. Today as we launch a new and four-part series on loving God with all we've got, the whole point of this series is this. God has destined you to end up looking like His Son. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. For those that God foreknew, he predestined to, get this, become conformed to the image of his dear son. That's the business that God is in, causing you every day to look more and more like Jesus. And so Jesus encounters a group of people one day. We're going to read from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31, about a conversation Jesus had. It had been set up by a religious scholar that was trying to stick it to the man and was trying to trip Jesus up and publicly embarrass him. It didn't work particularly well. Another religious scholar, a little more sincere in his interest in Jesus, noticed that Jesus had answered wisely and engaged him in this brief conversation that we read in Mark 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love the Lord your God with all you've got today, with all your heart. The heart's a pretty important thing, apparently, in the Bible. The word or related words are used 955 times. A few of those it relates to the physical heart where in those cultures it was viewed as being the center of physical life. Generally in scripture it's used of the metaphorical heart, the center of the deepest core of our being and spiritual life, the inner person, the essence of personality, the center of all life. If you were stripped down to your essential core, where who you really are is left, it would be your heart. The greatest command is this, love God with all you've got and start by loving him with all of your heart. There's three things we discover about how to make that really understandable and practical for us. Let's take a look at the first one for a moment. Loving God from the heart is first a response to his love, a response to his love. It was three weeks ago that uh, James, a worship arts pastor, shared a little bit of his story, and it's one of the many things that I love about him. He told us that just 10 years ago when he was in high school that a friend invited him to go to church one weekend to a service similar to this. Uh, James comes from a background, an immediate family, an extended family, and a family heritage of people who just have had no relationship with Jesus. He had no influence or understanding from his home, but he shows up at church one day with a friend. And he heard there that we love God because he first loved us. And by the end of that service, it made sense to James to open his heart to God's love and to say, I know almost nothing about you, God, but I have heard here today for the first time that you love me, that you know me, You have plans for me. You have forgiveness for me. And so I open my heart to receive you today, and I want to love you back. And that began for him the rest of his everlasting life of following after God. It was earlier this week I was having coffee with one of the 20-something guys here in the church, and I won't tell his story. It's his to tell. But a few months ago, he experienced a tragic thing in his life, a, a horrible loss that he's working his way through. And haven't you experienced that when we experience pain or pressure in our lives, that it either causes us or we choose to either move away from God, kind of ticked and angry at Him for a while, or that pressure can be allowed to press us in closer to Him. And his story is of the latter. I was so proud of him. And he was telling me about decisions that he's made. And every week, he's a part of a, one group of guys. So they just get in each other's face. And so they tell about what's happening in their life. And they don't cut each other any slack. But they love each other, but they keep each other honest. And they pray for one another. And then there's a second group of guys he meets with every week. It's very similar, but it's composed of some different people. And then there's kind of a counselor, spiritual mentor, leader in his life that he meets with every week. And then he's of service here as well as involved in services here. And he's engaged in regular daily personal devotional life. It was just so commendable. But this is the point that I wanted to make that was so much fun. He said, this is one of the most intense and best times of my life. And he said, I'm a little embarrassed to say it because I've walked with Jesus for several years, but I have just been discovering how much God loves me. And my response to that has been to open up to him in some ways beyond what I even knew I could or knew that I would want to. We respond with all of our heart first because God loves us. I remember, well, uh, my summer after my graduation from high school, and we're especially celebrating those of you that are high school graduates today, Joe and friends right over here. Others may be in other places. But it was uh, an amazing summer for me because... Ila discovered that my relationship with Jesus that had worked for me in my senior year of high school was not going to be good enough to work for me the next year in my going to college. Now, I knew that generally because there's no static relationship with God. We're either growing or we're moving backward. That's true in honor of all of our relationships. But I felt it and I understood it very personally that summer. I still remember the, the rather deserted, lonely country road that I was taking my walk and talk with God on. It was dusk in August. The sun was going down. It was out in the mid-Willamette Valley. Because of the uh, harvest, there was particle in the air. So it was one of those blazing, brilliant, colorful August, Oregon, Willamette Valley sunsets. But I was wrestling with God, and I was saying this to God. I have walked with you. I have loved you. But I don't know that I want to continue. There must be more than this for me to move on with you. That was my prayer. And God met me there. I didn't hear him with an audible voice, but it was as impactive as though he had spoken to me in a way that I could hear with my ears. I knew what he said to me in my heart. He said this, I love you. If you trust me, you will see that I have more for you than this. My relationship with Jesus took a step forward because I responded to his love. We all want to be loved, don't we? So we're in the first grade class, in uh, Lauren's class, and all those kids are just smiling, and they're squirming, and the energy is being constrained and hardly held in. Why? Because they wanted us to see their portfolio. What were they really saying? I want you to see me. I want you to notice me. I want you to see my work, That expresses my uniqueness. I want your one on one attention. And that was the craving of a first grade kid that had never met any of us before in their life and will probably never see again this side of heaven. Expressing what's inside of all of us. The book of Ecclesiastes says it this way We all have eternity in our hearts a place that God has designed each of us with that cries out to have our name known, to be recognized, to be attended to, and to mostly of all be loved. And it is a place within our makeup that can only be resolved by God himself. As we hear these words, we love him because he first loves us and we respond to his love. And some of you today will likely be making the decision that two people did in the service last night, and two people did at the nine o'clock service this morning. A simple response, as James did 10 years ago, saying, God, I don't know everything about you at all, but I believe that you are. I believe that you're loving. I believe that I need you. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness today. It will launch you into the most exciting possibility of you living out your ultimate purpose and meaning for the rest of your everlasting life. The first thing we learn about loving God from the heart is that it's a response to his love. It's why religion absolutely doesn't work. Religion is an effort to behave well enough to impress God enough to be accepted by him. And that's exactly backwards of how spiritual life truly works. God is so good and so gracious and has provided so much in his love for us that he's given us a gift. And then it's true that as we respond to his love, that we can love him with all of our heart and we can begin to live life in ways that are more pleasing to him, but not to please him, but to look more and more like his son. The second thing we learn about loving God with all we've got from the heart is that it goes well beyond our feelings. I love this verse in Matthew 6 verse 11 where it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in a relationship, if I'm beginning to feel that it's growing a little bit distant, we're getting a little bit stagnant. The question is not, what's wrong with what the other party is doing? The question is, how have I not been investing in that relationship? The principle is true. It's implied in every area of life where you invest your treasure, your time, your interest, your money, your commitments, your passion, your engagement. Wherever we invest our treasure, our heart follows along behind. So as it relates to this matter of loving God with all of our heart. I've been thinking about this thing, about emotions and love. Interesting to ponder. In our culture, partly because of English language that's, I believe, woefully inadequate to help us put labels on love and emotions, it kind of all gets thrown together into a messy stew that occasionally we dip into and try to pull words out to describe what we're experiencing. But in my experience, at least, often failing to do that very well. So I've thought about this relationship between emotion and love. Now, when you saw this marker board come up here on the platform, wasn't there just, didn't your heart just beat faster with anticipation and joy? Weren't you thrilled about that? Yes. The right response is, yes. Yeah. You won't even make it when I coach you out of it. I have not yet ever been complimented for my artwork up here. And I want you to know what I interpret that as. You just need more exposure to really appreciate the fine thing that's happening here. So here we go. On this axis, we have emotion. And at the bottom here, we have low, low emotion. Not negative emotions. Those would be down toward the floor. Just low all the way down to no emotion. I don't feel anything about it. It's just I'm emotionally neutral about it. I don't know and I don't care. I don't dislike I just don't care. To the high emotion of absolute, passionate, enthusiasm, excitement, and energy, happiness. On the horizontal axis, we have love. Love, which always has as its component a commitment, all the way down to, I don't love at all. To As Jesus said the night before he was betrayed and crucified, greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for who? His friend. The commitment of love. Now I thought about this. What's the relationship between passion, or excuse me, between emotion and love? Well, let's talk about the first quadrant here low emotion and low love. What would we call that kind of a relationship with someone? Yeah, sick and bad. Sick, bad, and wrong, right? Yeah. It would probably express what we would call apathetic, wouldn't it? Apathy. There we go. Apathy. Uh, I usually don't quote Woody Allen here on weekend services, but do you mind if I do today? And I think Woody Allen has a quote that pretty well expresses this. He says, I don't know if there is a God, but if there is, I don't think he's done a very good job. That's what Woody said. I think Woody expresses a lot of people. In fact, in many of our own spiritual journey, we identify a season of our life, maybe many, many years, maybe even decades, where we were apathetic about God. It wasn't that we were mad at Him. We just didn't really know and really didn't care. You talk with friends, don't you? And you ask them about their spiritual life, and they say, I don't really give much thought about that. What do you think about God? I don't really think about God. Why don't you find yourself thinking about God? I really don't care that much. It's not that they're mean and bitter. It's just that they don't care. Now, that sounds like a pretty passive place, doesn't it? Now, this will be of interest to you. That's where our enemy, Satan, does his finest strategic work in the lives of people. This is what Paul writes to the church at Corinth, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they cannot see the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. And what it sounds like is apathy. I don't know, and I really don't care. Now, let's take a look at this high emotion but low love situation. Some of us have encountered this, most of us in our life, and others of your parents or grandparents, you've seen it. And Kids maybe 7th or 8th grade, and they come home and they tell you what? I'm in love. And what do you want to tell them? And what do we call that? Puppy love. Puppy love's good. Yeah, puppy love. Yeah. Or infatuation. Fatuation. There we go. Infatuation. Do you think that it's possible to become infatuated with God? Really enthused and excited and emotionally charged and have absolutely almost no love or commitment and conviction about that at all? Absolutely. Jesus told a great story. We call it the parable of the sower, or actually, more properly, the parable of the sowers. He talks about four kinds of soil. And as an old farm guy, I like those kinds of agrarian stories. He talks about the apathetic soil, where the seed is scattered, but it just bounces along on hard earth, doesn't penetrate, birds come along and swoop it away. Apathetic. And then there is the infatuation soil. It's shallow, and the seed comes in, and it gets enough dirt to germinate. I love that word, old farm guy. Germinates, it sprouts, but because it's shallow, it very quickly just falls over and dies and shrivels up. Infatuation. Happens sometimes for people who who have a trauma in their life. They feel a desperate need for a solution. They're told that God would be a good answer for that. They come to the spiritual ER. And instead of leaving with a heart transplant, which is what they need, God giving them a new heart. That's what conversion is. They leave with a Band-Aid across a scratch, because the scratch Wasn't as bad anymore. Infatuated. And some of you will have stories in your own life of some false starts in a true relationship with God. And you say, yeah, that was me. I I got saved two or three times before it took. What was happening? Because the love thing, which is a commitment, wasn't happening. But there were a lot of feel goods. And then there's this thing over here. Oh, this is fun. This is where I like to live. Are you ready for this? Where it's high emotion and high love. Huh? What do we call that in a relationship? Yeah? well, let's be good here today. Let's call it passion. Passion is good. Okay to have a passionate relationship with God? If you go for that? Yeah. Oh, I like that. I have a passionate relationship with my wife. You have no idea how hard it is for us to behave around here. We're church and everything. It is. Our, our, our married kids, you know, get embarrassed and sick by us and we're with them. And, uh, you know, they, they want to send us away, you know, timeouts. It's, yeah. Passion is a wonderful thing. It's how God designed us. In fact, I think heaven is probably going to be pretty passionate. I think it's just going to be passion, wild passion. We're going to be with God in his presence and all the yuck and cruds going to be gone. And it's going to be like me going out there and eating a whole sheet cheesecake, uh, carrot cake, which, by the way, is what God intended when he made carrots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I won't get sick and I won't gain weight. I mean, however you need to describe it, it's going to be awesome. Passion. It's what, it's what um, Josephine looked like today. I mean, passionate. I mean, she was leading us in worship, wasn't she? It was fun to see the team, but Josephine, it wasn't just the light on her. I mean, she was just smiling and beaming, and all she could do to stay up here, she was just passionate, leading us in passionate worship. I'd like to live there all the time, wouldn't you? But can I tell you this? I come to church sometimes with you guys, and I don't always experience that. Not every time. Now, it may just be me. But I'll also tell you this, that I show up pretty regularly with one-on-one time with God every day, called personal devotions or whatever. And some of those days, you know, I feel really, really good. And some of those days, I don't feel so good. You know, so I'm reading Deuteronomy, right? And I'm doing my soap journal, and you're supposed to read the Scripture that really pops out at you. So it says, don't eat bats. Yeah, I'm quoting Scripture. So I write down, don't eat bats. And then you do the next thing, which is to make some observations about that. And so I'm working all my creativity and spiritual juices and concentration, and I write down, those people weren't supposed to eat bats. Yeah. And then you, you get to the application time. What does this mean to my life? And I'm thinking about it, and I guess I, I, guess I shouldn't eat bats either. And, and then you're supposed to pray, God deliver me from bats. I mean, what, you know... The sad truth is, I'm being facetious, but not all that much. There are times that, that I leave this one-on-one time with Jesus, and I go, I'm glad I showed up because it's the right thing to do. But baby, on this passion scale, it, 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 she, she, there was a lot going on today. Well, aren't you glad that there's a fourth box? There's a fourth box that's just as loving, but that it feels different than passion and I call it the commitment box. Commitment. You know, I haven't gotten to have the one-on-one with Jesus yet to talk about it, but my guess would be this. Put it together. This is all within a few hours. Jesus says to His followers, no greater love has anyone than this, than He lay down His life for His friends. Okay? Then He goes out, to a prayer meeting by himself under an olive tree in a place called uh, the Mount of Olives. And he is so exercised in his soul that he is physically sweating blood as he is trying to get out of the pain and shame he's about to endure. And he begs God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. How do you think Jesus was feeling emotionally right then about how fun this love business was? My hunch was there was a whole lot of commitment. But he did some experience some joy. Hebrews tells us this. When he looked ahead and saw you, and saw a relationship with you, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross as he, with no greater love than this, laid down his life for his friends. Now, this just works really well for me. This is what it says. I'm a proponent of passion, and I love it when we have those experiences that are just high as a kite, just so filled with joy. You not only know God is present because he's always with us, but you feel his presence. That you not only know that God's love you, but you just feel smothered in His embrace. When you not only know that God is leading you by His Spirit, but you have those thoughts that come to mind that are unmistakably His thoughts, His rhema word to us. I love those times. I contend for those times. I want more of those times. But I will also tell you this, that true love is tested in these times to assure that it's not infatuation, which is cheap, low-level commitment but it is true love which says i'm going to love you god with all of my heart we learn this about loving god that love goes well beyond our feelings has some of you heard of sad the anacronym for seasonal affective disorder have you ever heard of that yeah Well, as I describe it, some of you are going to say I hadn't heard of it, but I think I'm the poster child. I don't want to put this on any of you, but, but, you know, Ann and I are Western Oregonian people, and so we're Willamette Valley people. And so we understand that you don't plan a picnic until the 4th of July. We get that, right? We have no surprises today. Yesterday was a teaser. You get a week in February, and you get a day or two in May and June. We understand that. There's no surprise it rained four inches last night. (laughs) (laughs) We uh, moved to Bend, and I discovered something phenomenal. Did you know that the sun works in the winter over there? Amazing. Now, it wasn't warm, but half of it was right. It was was bright. And then we moved to Los Angeles for six years, and I was further astounded. The sun not only is bright, but it's warm in the winter. Did you know this? This is news for some of you. It's phenomenal. And then we got to move back home to Oregon. We moved to Hillsborough. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you that my body forgot how to live here. Just flat, forgot. We got into the first January. Life was not happy for me. Now, circumstantially, everything was great. Relationships were great, and jobs great, and friendships are great, and clients were great, and church was great, and life was great, and I was in a world of hurt. Now, I've not suffered or experienced depression. I have far more apathy now and compassion for people who do. And I didn't know that, you know, all I was experiencing, but I did a little research and I found this sad deal. And can I share with you what the characteristics are? Oh, this was like taking a test and I got an A+. (laughs) Individuals eat more, check. Crave carbohydrates, check. Sleep more, check. Experience chronic fatigue, check. Have reduced energy, check. Gain weight, check and withdraw socially check 100% whoo all right now I know what's wrong with me I'm sad (laughs) so Monday mornings were particularly bad I'd get up and I'd do my thing and spend my time with Jesus and do my exercise and get in the car and drive off to the first client and cry and I go what's wrong with me well nothing's wrong with my world but stuff was wrong inside. So I read about some therapies. Did you know that they make lamps for this? A beautiful thing. I call mine my happy lamp. Yeah. So I went on and I found out these lamps, you can either do a light box thing or lamp. And some of you know what I'm talking about because you do it. That light box thing, I just I do the lamp. If I'm going to, we get up dark and early every day anyway. So if I'm going to be up dark and early and sitting under some lamp for about an hour doing my stuff, I might as well sit under a happy lamp. And so I got the happy lamp, and it's called a full-spectrum lamp, and you pull it down about 18 inches from your face, and so I'm now under my happy lamp, and, you know, life's moving on. So people found out about my happy lamp and asked, "Uh, how's that working for you? And I said, I really don't know. But I said, it's a lamp, and I'm going to be under a lamp anyway, so I assume there's no harm. And if it is helping, then it's helping, you know, so I really don't know. Well, I now have a definitive answer for you. It happened the day that happy lamp light bulb burned out. Hmm? And I have never seen Ann more quickly go online to get a phone number to call that number and to order a replacement bulb and to pay a fortune to have it overnight shipped. So the next morning, the happy lamp bulb was there. So now when my friends ask me, does it work? I said, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And if you want a confirmation with a data source right here, it works. Oh, why am I telling you my goofy story about my sad deal and My experience in my happy land. it's because I had learned from the time I was a little kid to spend time with Jesus every day. I grew up in a home very different than most of yours. My parents both modeled early morning devotions before the rest of us got up. Our family also had family devotions five nights a week. We called it church. And the other two nights of the week, we were at church like this on Wednesday and Sunday nights. So I had church coming out my ears. But it was an environment that was not religious, it was a love with God environment. And so most of us don't react to God, we react to goofy religious stuff. And by the time I was in my 8th grade, it made sense for me to have my own devotions. No one coached me and encouraged me, I'd just seen it modeled and I guess that's what you do if you love God. And and that was the first year that I read through the entire Bible in my my own devotion. So I've been at this thing for a while. So why do I tell you the story? So I'll tell you the story that there's been a lot of my mornings in the last five years over here in wonderful great Northwest that my commitment was being lived out far more than my passion. Just showing up and God, I'll read about bats, I'll read about whatever, but I will love you with all of my heart. There's going to be a decision in a few minutes that some of you will be making. I mentioned the first one. Some of you are going to be saying yes to Jesus. I accept your gift of life and forgiveness. Some of you have drifted away from what was a more vibrant relationship with God. And today your decision is to come back to him. It's a recommitment to him. And this is making sense for you. And what you're saying is, I have drifted away because some of the things that I wanted to experience and didn't, have begun to move me toward being a shallow person. God didn't withdraw. I began to withdraw, and I am recommitting today to get close to Him. We learn that loving God from the heart goes well beyond our feelings, and so we choose to love. Let's take a look at the third and final thing that we learn from this great passage. Loving God from the heart is a long-term relationship. I went on Facebook yesterday, and I changed my religious affiliation. Is that all right with you? Yeah. You wisely haven't responded because you don't know what I changed it to. It used to say Christ follower. Now it says Christ follower dash long-term commitment. That's what it says. That relationship status is not going to change. A long-term relationship. In fact, Ann and I discovered or decided uh, when we were married that that we would probably long-term be the best for each other if we were the most in love with God as individuals that we could be. Doesn't that make sense? Would I be a fairly good husband, do you suppose, for Anne, if constantly around me she was experiencing, oh, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, wouldn't that be a pretty good environment for a husband to be carrying around? Sure. And wouldn't she be a delightful wife over time if my experience with her was that? I just quoted the fruit of the Spirit. So the more I am filled with God's Spirit, the closer I am to God, the more like Jesus I am becoming, the better husband I'm likely to be. We had the same philosophy, worldview as it related to our children, what our kids will benefit from more than anything else is a mom and a dad who passionately love God and love each other. It's why even when our kids were young, we made some decisions that we were going to continue to have fun romance, that we were going to continue to date and court one another, that we were going to continue to be lovers and best friends. We would build that relationship because that's the priority relationship. It's a long-term relationship. It will be in many of our Scripture reading tomorrow, if you're going through the Soap Journal with uh, with uh, with others of us, that you'll be reading Ephesians chapter 3. This is what verse 17 says. And this is to a group of mature Christians at a great church. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of God is. Interesting, isn't it? For mature Christians, the prayer is, get grown deeper into God's love. It's the starting point. It's the middle point. It's the ending point of this relationship. It's a long-term relationship. When Anna and I met in the eighth grade, and then she decided to marry me, and a year later we got married. You all know the story. Well, it was... 10 years later, but you know the story. She had no idea what I was going to become when I grew up. I know some of you pray for us and you mostly pray for her. We figured that out. I understand that. I'm used to it. I do take it personally, but I'm tough. I can handle it. In fact, it was uh, this week we were driving around and I was sharing with Ann one of my new, brilliant, creative, spectacular ideas. I have many of those. She's heard many, many of those wonderful ideas. And her response was to smile and look at me and said, You know, Jared, I have been married to many men. All of them are you. (laughs) And I've been married to a few women, too, for these 32 years. What are we saying? That the commitment into a long-term relationship must have creativity and must take shape and form and must be an investment that is made. Otherwise, it gets stale and drifts apart. A very prominent national political family this week we heard about after 40 years, I decided to separate. And they said we just drifted apart. And my response in hearing that story and hearing them splashed all over the news so we, Voyagers, can look at, Voyagers, can look in on that and go tuss tuss about it was deep compassion. I get that. I guess you could drift apart after 40 years. I guess you could. I think you could. I know you could. In fact, isn't it the exception where the investment continues to be made in ways that allows that to be fresh and ongoing? Speaking of fresh, Ann and I were a little bit fresh here on Wednesday. You know, it's kind of a nuisance around here when the 150 kids or so come for five and a half hours because there's supposed to be no PDAs. You know what PDAs are? Public displays of affection. Affection. So, you know, we pretty much behaved, but I, uh, Ann and I hadn't seen each other for several hours, and so, you know, I, I came, and we greeted each other, and we were headed down the hallway to check on the arrangements there for the meal, and, and uh, got down into the hall and looked around. I didn't see any kids around. They were all supposed to be down there, so, you know, it, w- it was no big frisky thing, but, you know, I you know, grabbed her hand and probably stole a kiss or two and walked down there and jabbered and looked around, and once we got in there, we were all pastoral and everything. So, you know, check it all out. And she stayed there, and I came back down the hall. And there's two girls that were standing right here just on the other side of this door. And I, we hadn't seen them when we went past, but they were watching us. And so two minutes later, when I came back down myself, they were smiling. And one of them said, you and Ann are just adorable. And I just wanted to stay for a month and bask in that. I cannot remember the last time I was called adorable. But, folks, it's, it's been a long, long time uh, by the way as we leave here today out in the reception if you can call me adorable I, that just that word is really working for me right now the the emotional thing is re- it's a nice little joy burst for me there and i uh, and i said to, what i didn't say to the two of them but i thought was oh uh, girls you have you have no idea you really don't if our if our texts to each other ever went public we, you would blush and we would be in so much trouble i mean we have a fun relationship and we work on that relationship, and we're creative about it, and we refuse to let it get in, um, in a rut and stale and drifting because a long-term relationship, by definition, is a relationship that's being invested into. So how's your long-term relationship, relationship with Jesus going? Some of you today are going to make a first-time commitment to Christ. You're going to accept his forgiveness and love. Some of you are going to make a decision to recommit to Christ today and to come back home because you've been drifting. And probably a bunch of us today are going to make a fresh commitment. Oh, you've been walking with Jesus. You're a model Christian. You're doing the right stuff. You do serve. You do show up. But the relationship is getting a little bit stale. And it's the difference between fresh hot bread that comes out of the oven and stale two-month-old bread that you find in the bottom of your freezer it has the same nutritional value, but it sure tastes different. What are you feeding in your relationship with Jesus? I love this quote that comes from a church tradition, which tells us that the apostle John, one of the 12 apostles, James and John were brothers. James was martyred as the first dying apostle. John lived to be into his 90s, the oldest apostle to die. He was back at his home church after his imprisonment on the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the last book of the Bible called the Revelation. Back in his home church at Ephesus. And as he was an aged man, his friends would literally carry him into church. And as the most respected elder among them, they would ask him to say a few words. And eventually they begin tired of hearing him repeat himself week after week. Because what he always said in his Older years were, little children love God and each other. They finally said, John, why do you keep saying those words? And he said, it's the Lord's command. And if this alone be done, it is enough. Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What was that? That was the Levitical call to worship that was still being used in the synagogues and the temples every week in Judea. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment John said If this alone be done, it is enough. So, Jesse Fitzgerald was sitting right over here where you are, Bob. You do not look like Jesse Fitzgerald. You are nearly as wonderful, but you're close. Almost beaming as much as she was last night, because you're sitting next to Pam, almost. She was just glowing in the dark, because Jesse who met Jesus here as an eighth grader and has grown up here and served here, is getting married this Friday to Ryan. And her smile, which has gone from ear to ear, I think now, I don't know how it's physically possible, has extended beyond the earlobes. She was glowing last night. And as uh, student ministries pastor Kevin is going to be the officiating minister this week, she and Ryan are going to exchange vows. They're going to be vows that are primarily found on this side of the two-by-two box Bows the talk about a commitment. And it'll go like this. I, Jesse, take you, Ryan, to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for the rest of our lives. That's the vow of love that they'll make to one another. As I was thinking this last week about their wedding coming up, I, I wondered what it would look like for those vows to become part of my prayer to God in expressing loving Him with all of my heart. So I tried it on for size. It sounds like this. I, Jared, take you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for the rest of my everlasting life. I love you, God, with all my heart. What's the favorite metaphor in the Bible of our relationship with God? The metaphor of marriage. It's the closest approximation that we have on earth of understanding the mystery of our relationship with him. What would it sound like for you today if I am the officiating minister and led you in saying vows to God? Would that be meaningful for you? It would sound like what I had just done. You would put your own name in the place of mine. I think for many of you today, it will make sense for you to let that be a part of your prayer as we conclude today. I, Jared, take you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord. And for those of you that wish to out loud, some of you will do it with loud, robust, bold voice because that's you and your personality. Others of you, it might be more in a quieter, almost a whisper. Those of you that choose to participate in this, to make this prayer, some of you will be saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Your life will be transformed this morning as you open up to God's love and forgiveness in life. Some of you are going to be saying, this is my homecoming. I've drifted, but today I'm coming back to God. And for some of us today, we're going to say, this is a renewed commitment to a fresh, passionate relationship with Jesus. I'm going to do my part in keeping it fresh and creative and pressing into him because this is a two-way relationship. If you'd like to follow me in this, would you, as I pray? I'll lead each phrase. You respond verbally as you wish. I, Jared, take you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. Together, I, your name. Take you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. For the rest of my everlasting life. I love you, God, with all my heart. Lord, you've heard our words. Beyond that, you've seen our hearts today. Thank you for loving us so much. We love you back. In Jesus' name, amen.